0: hallelujah hallelujah I can only imagine to be surrounded by your glory what will my heart feel will I dance for you Jesus or in awe of you be still will I stand in your presence or to my knees will I fall Will I say hallelujah? Will I be able to even speak at all? I can only imagine. Thank you, Markham. Thank you, Eve. Thank you. Thank you. Sometimes that's all we can't say. Thank you. Our scripture lesson that was read earlier came from Paul's letter to the Romans. It was found in the fifth chapter, and the reading was from the first through the ninth verses. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we exult in hope of the glory of God. And not only this, but we also exult in our tribulations, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance, and perseverance, proven character, and proven character, hope. And hope does not disappoint, because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. For while we were yet still helpless, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for the good man someone would dare even to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more then, having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. Randy Kilgore wrote a blog about an experience he had in his first job out of college. He was working backstage at an annual banquet and he accidentally knocked over a bottle of wine, spilling the red wine on the white dress of the celebrity speaker. According to Randy, it was not a small stain either, meaning even people at the back of this thousand-dollar event would be able to see the stain on her dress clearly. This red stain on her dress. Only a few people knew how the stain got on the dress, but soon he thought the whole world was now going to know. In a most surprising move, the celebrity guest reassured Randy that, you know, these things happen and she took her place at the head of the table, stain and all. She gave her address to the very attentive crowd and even stayed around to shake hands and to sign autographs. Not once did she throw Randy under the bus, saying instead, when people would ask, oh, there had just been a little accident backstage. He later learned she also asked his employer not to penalize him for the accident. Needless to say, he became a very big fan of this woman for life, and as far as Randy was concerned, she was a first-class human being. In his own words, Randy recounts that almost 40 years since that accident took place, that incident still sticks out in his mind as an act of grace and mercy that very few people ever get to experience. It serves as a human example for what Christ did for him. That while he was yet sinning, the scripture tells us that Christ died for him. While he was yet, while he was still sinning. What a powerful phrase. While you are still a hot mess. While you are still whatever you fill in the blanks are. While you are still all of that, Christ died for you. It's not like you had stopped sinning and then God goes, okay, you're good now. While you are still sinning, Christ died for us. The fact that we can walk around with this obvious blemish of sin on us while we are still sinning Because of the grace of God, Christ died for us. It is this idea of while we were still sinning, that that phrase alone, while we were yet sinning, that I want to talk seriously about the Christian life. What exactly is expected of us as believers who claim a Christian identity? And are we fulfilling... And meeting our obligations. Who knows? These are tough questions to ask, which I will try in a message I've titled today, The Crimson Stain. The Crimson Stain. Let us pray. Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, we thank you now for the preaching hour. Father, no one came to hear me, they came to hear you. Father, folks that are listening online or here in this sanctuary need to know that, Lord, that that you are with them. So give me all that I need and help me with the articulation of my words and with my thoughts. Let the meditations of my heart be acceptable to you right now. This we pray in Jesus' name, amen. It has become increasingly clear to me that many people, whether they are Christians or not, do not really understand the message of the gospel it's pretty clear to me i think it's fair to say that most of us have some appreciation for the message of salvation but i dare say that many of us if we are truly honest with ourselves would readily admit that we find it difficult to articulate our faith and explain why we believe what we say we believe and If we are unable to articulate what we say we believe, how then do we know if we are even walking the life that God has for us? What are we to make of the Christian life in light of the fact that many of us have been believers for a very long time, yet we have so very little to show for it in our lives? Well, I want to start at the beginning so that we all leave here clear on what God did and what God expects of us. There are two sides to the Christian life. There is the objective side, and there is the subjective side. The objective side of the Christian life has absolutely nothing to do with us, nothing. The subjective side of the Christian life depends on us. Let's be clear. There are two sides to the Christian life. There is the objective life, which has nothing to do with us, and the subjective life, which depends on us. On the objective side, God does all the work. On the subjective side, we respond to that work. Does that make sense? On the objective side, God does all the work. On the subjective side, we respond to the work. When someone (laughs) becomes a believer, their new life becomes rooted in three pillars of God's transforming work. Let's be clear, I wanna make sure that I talk a little slowly. When you become a Christian, (laughs) there are three things that occur as part of God's transforming work. Three things are justification, sanctification, and vocation. Justification, sanctification, and vocation. This is all on the objective part of God and has absolutely nothing to do with you. (laughs) It doesn't matter if you're a good person or a bad person doesn't matter if you're tall or short fat or skinny rich or poor smart or educationally challenged whether you are Republican or you are Democrat whether you are MAGA or you are woke it is all the work of God and that's why we call it objective it is the objective side of God's work as part of the Christian life now As this person is going through justification, sanctification and vocation, this person is being transformed in some way by God and is being renewed day by day. Their new life becomes an expression of God's grace and how they demonstrate that God is doing this transforming work is they're able to demonstrate faith, hope and love. On the objective side, God is doing the justification and the sanctification and leading to the vocation. But on the subjective side, you have faith, hope, and love. And if you are not showing faith, hope, and love on the subjective side, we have to wonder if there's anything going on on the objective side. Objective side is God's work and God's work alone. The subjective side is your response to God's work. So when God does a work in you and you feel it in your spirit, it should lead you to demonstrating faith, hope, and love. Wow. You see, <laughs> because of what God has done and is doing in the life objectively, we now find in ourselves the capacity and the ability to express faith when things seem impossible, hope when there is so much despair, and in the midst of immense personal pain and suffering, we show love. It is why sometimes people can say to us as Christians, how is it that with everything going on in your life, you're still holding on to this God? It's not because you are so good, but it's because God is so great. That even while the storms are raging around you, he could still wake up and say, Peace be still. And if you have a peace be still objectively in your life, then what you're gonna do is you're gonna be surrounded by his glory. You will sing hallelujah. And that's why even when we come into the worship house, the worship service, and sometimes, and it's the truth, sometimes the worship might feel a little flat. So the worship team is trying to get you to not reflect on your problems, but to reflect on the God who can deal with your problems. For when you can reflect on the God who can open up doors that no one can close, when you can reflect on a God that can bring into your life something that lets you recognize that how things are is not the way things are always going to be. When you can reflect, <laughs> then you can say, will I be able to speak at all? I can only imagine. The Christian life then becomes a walking, talking, breathing testimony of a person who is not easily phased by passing fancies not easily discouraged by pressing circumstances not easily broken when things don't go their way which is best summarized by what the apostle Paul says when he says we are hard pressed on every side but not crushed perplexed but not in despair persecuted but not abandoned struck down but not destroyed. And why? Because we have this treasure in earthen jars of clay to show that the all-surpassing power is from God and not us. So when you see somebody walking and you know they've got troubles in their life and you can see them still holding their head high, looking to the hills from whence cometh their help and their help comes from, you know that person is digging and latching on to something so much greater than themselves. There is the objective work that God does, and there is the subjective response to God's work. So, my point is if you are walking the Christian life today and walking it authentically, meaning you're not faking it until you make it, then it is because of the Holy Spirit transforming you into the likeness of Jesus Christ, which, by the way, is, was set in motion by a loving God. This is the reason behind the vision statement that I spoke about earlier. What did I say? We are conforming to Christ means that we are responding to the objective work of God. And when you respond to the objective work of God, you start to look more and more like Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, I speak of spiritual things. Mm-hmm. You sometimes have to look at your lives and say, wait a second, is my despair overwhelming to me to the point that I have forgotten God? Or, or is my despair of such that I need to reconnect to God? Because the truth of the matter is, if God is doing this work, then you have to respond to that work. The first part of our statement, conforming to Christ, that is purely the objective side we talk about in God's transforming work. And it is God and God alone that makes that possible. You cannot change yourself or anyone else. Brothers and sisters, stop trying to change people. Stop trying to change people, whether your spouses, your loved ones, or your children. You cannot change people. Stop it now. You are only causing more distress upon yourself. The only person that can change people is the work of God. And how you know people are changed is by what they produce on the subjective side. Oh, yes. You can only respond to the work that God is doing in you. So if you are responding to something other than faith, hope, and love, then we have to question who or what is doing the transforming work in you, for it might not be God. I hope you're hearing me in your spirits. You can only respond to the work that God is doing in you. And here's what the scripture says, He who has begun a good work is faithful to perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Oh, But let me be clear, let me be clear. There are some things that you can change about yourself. You can change your bad habits, you can change your attitude, you can change those things. But when it comes to the issue of the saving of your soul from certain destruction, that is the work of God the Father. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, made effective in the person of Jesus Christ. Your life as a believer in Jesus Christ is patterned after the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ and is a continuous dying to an old way of living and a rising to a new life day by day. It is why just as every morning you wake up, the first thing you do is you you take a breath. The first thing you do is... Ah, thank God I'm on the side of the living again. But brothers and sisters, you you choose one day to not take that breath. And you will take no more. You have to constantly be living. And you know what's interesting? I just thought about this. God, when he created man, didn't have to give us rest. If you think about it, he didn't have to put into this design of the human condition the need to go to sleep. He didn't have to do that, did he? He could have just let us run around. I don't, do fish sleep? I don't even know if fish sleep. I'm just curious. I'm just wondering. But here's my point. Every single day, you go to bed, and then you wake up. You go to sleep, and you wake up. You go to sleep. And you wake up every single day. And when you get up, you got to eat and do everything you need to do before you go to sleep to wake up the next day. The interesting thing and the reason why this is occurring to me now is you are actually being reminded day by day that life is a constant living and dying to self. Every day, you are constantly being reminded that you're living and dying to yourself. You're living and you're dying. You wake up and you go to sleep. You wake up and you go. And God is saying, listen, this is the rhythm. And when you break up the rhythm, guess what happens? You are out of harmony. Hmm. So now you get up and you forget God. You forget all the things that keeps you alive. And so our life is a constant living and dying to ourselves. Wow. Thank you, Holy Spirit. So the Christian life is both a receiving And they're responding to God's grace. It is a being loved and giving love. It it, it is a gift receiving, but also a gift giving. That's the Christian life. And if you are not in that rhythm where all you're doing is receiving, 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 you know what's going to happen? You are not even going to be conscious of who or what you serve god requires that we not only accumulate but that we also distribute for in the getting and the giving god makes himself known and every day we're being reminded that the christian life is a dying and a resurrecting a dying and a resurrecting constantly in our lives so that's basically The message of the gospel. It begins now with the justification, continues in the sanctification, and moves to its goal in vocation. All on the objective side. So, in the time that I have left, I only want to talk about the justification part. Just the justification part. So, imagine someone asks you to tell "Tell me about your faith. Someone comes up to you and says, tell me about your faith. Would you be able to say to them, I believe that Jesus is the perfect embodiment of our creator. And because of his sacrifice and atoning work on the cross, I'm able to live a life that is based on the grace of God shown in the person of Jesus Christ to whom we are united in the power of the Holy Spirit. Even if you could say that, (laughs) I don't think you even know what it means. (laughs) So if you're having trouble understanding what you said and what you mean, imagine the person you're trying to convince (laughs) about your faith and that your lifestyle is actually worth it. Brothers and sisters, I believe the reason why this is not easy for us to articulate, let alone to understand, is because our generation, for the most part, have lost the meaning of some key doctrinal words in the faith, words like justification. There was a time past where anyone who got into the faith had to go through the catechisms of the church and had to learn why it is that we believe what we believe, but they would become familiar with the work of justification. We don't teach a lot of this stuff anymore. Why? Because, again, everyone is only operating in what appears good in their own eyes. And so I want to make sure that as we kick off this new year that we have a community of believers who kind of understand, at least on some kind of functional level, why we believe what we say we believe. And it begins with understanding this idea of justification. You see, the word justification is actually a legal term which means acquitting or making right. The dictionary defines it as this. Watch this. A reason a fact, a circumstance, or an explanation that defends or shows that something is warranted or well-grounded in truth. That's a lot of words. So I broke it down to this. Justification is a legal act that says you're good to go. Just that simple. You're good to go. (laughs) Justification is you're good to go. But the Christian life is much more than a simple pass that says you're good to go. Many people live under this misconception that if you become a Christian, God is now going to care for all of your needs, all of your worries. In fact, didn't God say, come unto me, all who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest? Didn't he also say, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you? So when we read these scriptures, we think that once we give our lives to God and once we become a Christian, then God is going to make all of our troubles go away. Nothing could be further from the truth. So there must be more to what God is really saying to us when, and, and why we need to understand what it means to be justified. Yeah. To be justified is to be put in a state of not having done anything wrong in the first place. To be justified means that you are now put in a state where it's almost as if you didn't do anything wrong in the first place. That's why I like the word justified, because if you play with it phonetically, it as just as if I'd never done anything wrong. Justified. Just as if I'd never stolen anything. Just as if I'd never cheated. Just as if I'd never fornicated. Just as if I'd never, you fill in the blanks in your own life. Just as if I'd never done anything wrong. That's what it means to be justified. But look at me again in our text and verse where it says, it says, therefore, having been justified. Did you catch it? Therefore, having been justified. Let's stop there for a moment. The text clearly says, having been justified, which means that whatever this justification is, it is something that happened in the past tense, and it is a precursor to what is to follow. Let's see what follows after that statement. Right after that, it says, "Just having been justified by faith. What we have here now, brothers and sisters, is the fact that justification is something that has to already have happened And it's a precursor to what follows. And then what that means is now we respond by faith. Having been justified the God work by faith. Wow. (laughs) So in terms of an inference, brothers and sisters, we are justified by faith. But what does that really, really, really mean? It is one thing to say the phrase and to say that we believe it. And that it's entirely, but it's an entirely different thing to say that we understand it. What it simply means is that when we are justified, our broken relationship with God gets restored by a pure act of grace. All of the messes in your life, everything that you have done that has caused you to feel a separation from not just God, but from yourself and even from your loved one, God is saying, through my grace, I'm going to now restore you to me just as if you'd never sinned. (laughs) I don't know about you, but to me, that sounds like really good news. You're going to pretend that I never did anything wrong. But, oh, by the way, God is not pretending like you've never done anything wrong. Oh, no, 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 no. He's not pretending like you've never done anything wrong. He's saying, I'm justifying you because all the wrong you did, I took it. So I'm going to take everything that you've done wrong so that when everyone looks at you, it's going to be just as if you'd never done it. <laughs> this is a big deal because it was a single most challenging issue that caused the split between the Roman Catholic Church and in the 16th century and what we now know to be the Protestant Reformation. On the one side, the Roman Catholics believe that, wait a second, you need some good works. We're not going to just accept that God is just going to wipe your slate clean. You need to do some things, right? You need to say ten Hail Marys. You need to come with your gifts. You need to do some things because, oh, by the way, this thing called grace, it's not free. It costs the Savior, so it must cost you. So we in the Protestants say, wait a second. Either God's work is complete or it's not. Either God paid it all. Or he didn't. Because if he paid it all, and all of it, and all to him I owe, then why is it that I still need to do something? That's why we go back to what I said was the Christian life. There is the objective side. And then there is the subjective side. The objective side says Jesus did it all. And the subjective side say all to him I owe. Wow. Jesus paid it all. On the objective side, Jesus died for every single thing that you and I would ever do. Paid it all. Bled on that cross and died. And on the subjective side, all to him I owe. I respond in faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. So I will love the Lord my God with all my heart, soul, mind, and my strength. And I will love my neighbor as myself, all on the subjective side as a response to a holy God who did for me what I couldn't do for myself, who saw beyond my faults and identified my need, who rose up with me when I was down. He is the lifter of my head when I am downtrodden, when I am crushed, when I am broken. God says, I will deliver you for you are mine and I am yours. Sounds to me like a lot of really, really, really good news. Brothers and sisters, we can't buy this justification. We can't buy this love from God. So here's the rub. Here's the rub as I get ready to close. Faith is simply the appropriate response of trust and an acceptance of God's unconditional acceptance of us. Did you hear that? It's a response of trust to accept what God has given to us unconditionally in his acceptance of us. As cruddy as you and I are, as ungrateful and as miserable As we are God still accepts us and he can't accept us in our cruddy miserable state so he had to clean us up for you see my brothers and sisters while we were yet sinners Christ died for us and the objective side as I said before is the part of the christian life but the subjective side is the part the second part of our vision statement which is now what transforming the world we are conforming to christ the objective side to transform the world the subjective side and the way this transforming work is done is through our witness how to use to use the The modern vernacular is how you live in. How you actually are living. How are you demonstrating that the work that God has done in your life is manifesting in what you are producing in the life of others? This is the Christian test. And that's why we make a big deal about doing what God has called us to do. First, to love him but to love our neighbor as ourselves. So going back to our story at the beginning of the sermon, we see that the celebrity speaker at this really large event was walking around greeting people, thanking people, and she had this crimson stain on her dress, on her white dress. It does not leave much to the imagination that the people who did not know how this red stain got on her white dress might Probably have been a different kind of accident. The women know what I'm talking about. But the reason I like the analogy is because someone bled. Y'all got that? Someone yeah. bled. And it must have been very embarrassing. Be walking around such a prestigious event with such an obvious stain. Wow. But she did not complain. She showed grace and mercy to the one who caused her stain. Her response is what made all the difference in the life of this person who expected her to respond in a way that would cause him to feel shame. And that, my brothers and sisters, was what Jesus Christ did for all of us. When we caused his stain, he didn't reject us. He gave us grace. He said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And like you and me, because of God's grace, we now have the capability to show God's mercy, his great mercy. For as the Apostle Paul reminds us, And not only this, verse 3, but we also exult in our tribulations, our sufferings, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance, and perseverance, proven character, and proven character, hope. And hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. I want to be more like Jesus and That means wanting the broken, the bitter, the angry, the unloved, the underloved to feel welcome in my presence. To feel free from condemnation as we meet. For while they were yet sinners, Christ died for them too, not just for you. Jesus loved me long before I was worthy. And he loves me now when I'm only worthy because he made me so. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. May the Lord richly, richly bless you, my beloved.